I'm going to turn in your Bibles this evening to Psalm 30 as we continue our journey through the book of Psalms together. Why don't we just ask the Lord to prepare our hearts as you're turning there. Father, we thank you for the word of God and the opportunity to be able to hear your voice. And Lord, we think even of that psalm we looked at last week where it told us so clearly that the voice of the Lord is powerful. And Lord, we know that your word is our written record of your very voice and that you speak to us through what you have already spoken, Lord, by your spirit inspiring this very precious book that we get to hold tonight. So we ask, Lord, that you meet us tonight in the word of God, that you would prepare us. You know what our day has been. We pray you'd strengthen our bodies and our minds and that you would just, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to be alert and attentive and that through the word of God and what we study and survey this evening, that you would speak things that we each personally need to hear and collectively as well. So bless your word. We ask together expectantly in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Psalm 30, we get another Psalm of David here. It tells us in the prescript at the beginning of it that it was a, a Psalm, a song at the dedication of the house of David, which came directly after a time uh, that David had actually uh, failed in some ways. So David is coming off the time of uh, the heels of some mistakes that he had made prior to this, and no doubt wrestling with some of the discipline he had experienced from God because of this, but yet how God was merciful to him when he turned back to the Lord and uh, still brought forth good things out of his life. And so David here in Psalm 30 seems to be expressing his appreciation uh, of the grace of God and the wonderful things the Lord had done in his life. The psalm opens by David declaring, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and not let my foes rejoice over me. Now, the whole idea there is celebration. My foes rejoicing over me would be David's enemies celebrating David's defeat uh, and rejoicing over the fact that he had been conquered. And he said, Lord, you didn't allow that. You didn't let my enemies triumph over me and celebrate and rejoice in the destruction of my life. And I think to some degree, we all have different foes and enemies. They may be different in your life than they are in someone else's life. But from time to time in our lives, there become certain things that are enemies that maybe they're kind of like the nation of Israel. Remember, they had perennial enemies. They had some enemies that they would deal with, and then they'd kind of fight them and conquer them, and then they'd kind of come back around. They would just resurface again. And to some degree, I think we all in our spiritual lives and just in our lives personally have things that are kind of recurring enemies, our own demons we talk about sometimes that we face, maybe areas of our flesh that are weaknesses and things that become a threat to our spiritual lives and uh, the enemy of our soul, the devil would love nothing more than to let those things triumph over us and kind of celebrate at our defeat. But thankfully the Lord through him, we find victory. And that's the only place we do find victory. Cause remember Paul declares when he writes regarding the resurrection of Christ, the end of chapter 15, he speaks there saying, you know, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And how wonderful to be able to find victory over areas of you know, sinful struggles and emotional struggles and mental struggles and you know, even physical wrestlings and difficulties or maybe circumstantial things, people who literally become enemies and come against us and how the Lord gives us victory. And so as David's rejoicing over that, he says here in this psalm in verse 1, he says, Lord, so therefore, because of that, he says, I celebrate or extol you. That's the idea of extol, means to lift up. When we sing a song, I exalt thee, O Lord. And that's kind of the idea, Lord, I'm going to extol you, exalt, honor you, for you have lifted me up. Lord, because you lifted me up and got me out of the pit and didn't let me get conquered and remain there in that difficult place, Lord, you have lifted me back up out of my time of maybe struggle or maybe a time of uh, kind of temporary defeat. Lord, you've lifted me back up now. So he says, therefore, I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to honor you and I'm going to exalt you because that's my response to you lifting me up and not letting my enemies defeat me. 
ultimately. He says, verse two, O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. What a wonderful thing when we need God's healing on our life from time to time. The Bible tells us that one of the names of our God, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. And sometimes we need the Lord's healing in our life, whether it's a physical affliction. You know, these bodies are just tense and they wear out uh, and, and they fall apart, it seems, all the more and are prone to struggle all the more the, the longer that you have the tent. Right. Just like a natural physical tent, the longer you have it, the more you use it, <laughs> the quicker it wears out. Right. The uh, the seams start pulling apart and there are tears and wear marks. And, and again, the bio, these bio, bodies, the Bible says they're, they're tense. They're just temporary dwelling places. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't sound very encouraging, but I've said to people many times in conversation, you do realize that the moment you were born, you started dying. It is just kind of true. Uh, the reality is, you know, that the moment that we're born, you know, we receive life and then the rest of our life, we're we're just kind of gradually declining and, and the body's wearing out. And it has a, a time period until that moment where the eternal part of us, which is our spirit, is dismissed from this body. And so from to time, because we live in a fallen world, we're going to deal with sickness and affliction you know, whether it's, you know, cancer or illness or different types of problems, our bodies are scheduled to struggle and to deteriorate. And it happens differently the way it comes into each and every one of our lives. Ultimately, something, if you're not raptured by the Lord, if he doesn't come back and we don't get the escape clause and get yanked out of here and raptured all together by Jesus, uh, then ultimately something is eventually going to be our physical downfall. Uh, our bodies are going to go through things, you know, again, whether it's illness, affliction, or even if it's an injury, there are times in our life where we need, because our body is struggling, for the Lord to help us. And sometimes God graciously will heal. It is one of the ministries of God and his kindness to us that there are times we see it in the Old Testament where God healed people of affliction. And one of the primary things we see that Jesus did, among many things, is that at times he would be merciful. Right. And he would heal people. People would ask the Lord for his healing and he would show his power by giving, as we've been looking at on Sunday morning, one of these gifts of a healing. And, and he would distribute his healings as gifts on different occasions. And here it seems David, to some degree, felt like the Lord had brought healing into his life. Was it a physical healing? Possibly so. Uh, was it some healing in some other way? We're not certain. But he says, Lord, here's what I do know. I needed healing. I cried out to you. And again, that's that's prayer with passion there. When you're crying out, you are uh, speaking very passionately. You're not just speaking to God. You're crying out in desperation. And he says, Lord, you healed me. You know, And how wonderful it is from time to time to cry out to the Lord, you know, with some physical affliction or maybe it's pain in your body or whatever it may be and to be able to experience god's healing and say lord i, I know it i cried out to you and you healed me you, you healed me i experienced it and to be able to have that wonderful testimony and be grateful to the lord for that now healing is not always physical and perhaps i don't know look what david says verse three he says oh lord you brought me up from the grave right that's the place of the dead a grave is a dark place, the doldrums, right? I mean, dark and, and, and a miserable place. You brought my soul, that's the inward life, the, the emotions, the will, the mind, the thinking, my soul, that's your inward person. You brought my soul up, he says, from the grave and kept me alive that I should not go down to what? The pit. And sometimes we feel like that we're, on our way that, that our soul is wearing out and we're slipping and we're just kind of going into a dark pit, right? When people talk about being depressed or, you know, struggling with different things mentally or emotionally, and right, we go through things that can wound us and discourage us. Maybe some hurtful things somebody does in our life. Look, uh, quite honestly, sometimes the greater pains in our life, the greater afflictions and wounds that we need healing from are not always the physical things that have happened to us. You know, if you've gone through a traumatic experience, somebody's done something very hurtful to you, and you've had some trauma in your life that's affected you psychologically or mentally or, you know, emotionally in some way, there is healing from the Lord as well. 
And I think that we need to cry out to the Lord. Lord, I cry out to you. Heal me of this internal wound, this thing that's happened to me. Uh, and, And he says, Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave and you kept me alive so I didn't go down to the pit. Because quite honestly, Uh, just as much as physical affliction and a need for healing when you're in pain or having sickness can kind of bring you into the pit mentally and you get all discouraged and downcast and depressed. The same thing can happen to people. And look, there are a lot of people who are living kind of in like a dark pit because of something that's happened to them and they've never allowed or received yet the healing power of God to come into their life. And I love that the Bible tells us that by his stripes... We are healed, and I believe internal healing, quite honestly, is probably, if you ask me, one of the greater healings God wants to bring into our life, even more than physical affliction, Uh, that God wants to touch the soul of people, heal minds and heal hearts in a way that only he can. And David was just rejoicing, Lord, I cried out to you, he says, and you healed me, you kept me alive, you kept me going so that I didn't draw down and get stuck into a pit. Perhaps he's done the same for you. And what do you do in that time? What's one of the best ways you can extol the Lord? Well, we've seen this many times. David comes back to it again, verse 4. He says, sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance as you reflect upon, he says, his holy name. So what's one of the best ways to honor God, to show gratitude towards him, he says, is to sing praise to the Lord. That is to use our words to use music and songs and to just sing to express our praise to the Lord and to offer to him an offering of thanksgiving, giving him thanks for what he's done for us. Verse five, he then declares for his anger, talking about God's nature now and his ways of operating, his anger is but for a moment. Aren't you glad for that? I've made God angry before of you. I'm sure you have, even if you don't know it. But his anger, thankfully, is but for a moment, but his favor, that speaks of his kindness, his grace. Another word for grace is favor. It's God's kind, gracious, helpful favor, his blessing upon our lives that we don't even deserve. Look, it says his favor, however, is for life. Notice the contrast there. God is, you might say, favorably disposed towards you automatically. Not because you're good or I'm worthy of it, but because he's gracious in nature. So because he is gracious in nature, the grace of God causes him to be favorably favorably disposed towards you your entire life. That is, he wants to bless you. He wants to show favor to you and do kind things and, and, and do things to help and to assist and to bless you. And, and that lasts for your whole life. Remember David said in Psalm 23 and Very likely, David wrote Psalm 23 at the end of his life, reflecting back. Remember, David said that God's goodness and mercy followed him all the days of his life. It's like David said, Lord, every time I turned around, there you were being good to me again. No matter what I was doing, if I was on a hill or a valley or whether I had been a good boy or a really bad boy and like a sheep, I wandered way away from you like a shepherd. Lord, every time I turned around, there was your goodness again and your mercy following me all the days of my life. Remember he said, you set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And again, just reflecting upon the kindness of God, always being gracious and favorable. And David says in contrast, you know, Lord, there are times when I know that I've offended you. Times when I do things wrong and I anger you. And David had his fair share of times when he angered the Lord. It's very likely this psalm is written in connection to a time right after when David had numbered uh, all of the, the, the people, the fighting men in Israel. And God got angry with him and brought a, a judgment upon the nation. And David had to go and, and ultimately offer a sacrifice to the Lord to kind of appease God's anger and God's wrath. And so David's thinking about that and he says, Lord, what I do see is this. Is, is your anger may come. You may be upset and angry and offended, but he says your anger only lasts a moment. It's almost like God can't stay angry at us because that's his nature. You know, I think any one of us who's, you know, maybe a father, you understand that, or a mother, you know, towards your children, it's, it's hard to stay angry towards your kids, right? It, it's, it's hard to remain angry. You may get angry at them, but your anger kind of just remains for a moment, uh, but your favor towards them, 
Isn't it amazing how that's like in, inborn and bred in you? It's ingrained in there that your whole life long you want to keep being favorable to them. You, want to keep, you don't have to try to be nice to them. You keep wanting to be nice to them again. So you may get angry initially, but that doesn't last. It's just a moment. But your favor is always towards them. Well, look, remember Jesus said, if you being evil as parents know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, he says, do you think your heavenly father will give good things to those who ask? He's drawing that contrast. If you're like that as a human parent, how do you think it is with God who's a perfect heavenly father in that way? And so here David is just reflecting upon this beautiful reality. Lord, your anger, it, it may last for a moment, but boy, your favor, it's always there for our entire life. God's much more gracious than he is upset with us often. Good to remember that. And then David even says regarding his own experience, he says, and here's what I've learned. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy always comes in the morning. So are there going to be times of heartbreak? Yes. Are there going to be times when we mourn over things that happen? Yes. Are there going to be things that cause us to grieve from time to time? Yes. He says, weeping, grieving, difficult times, that, that may endure for a night there may be a night season but he says the wonderful thing is is that god doesn't want to leave us in that condition notice he says joy comes in the morning again the bible says this is the day that the lord has made let us what rejoice and be glad in it again god doesn't want to leave us in that night or that night season of perpetually mourning that's not the heart of god do we need to grieve? Do we need to cry? Do we need to weep on occasion? Absolutely. But I don't believe that God wants us to get stuck in that cycle. It's not healthy for us. Grieving mourning is a way to release an emotion when we've gone through something hard. But God, again, his favor is towards us. Remember, he wants joy to return to us. It's a new day. The idea is that a, a, a new day, joy comes back in the morning because we can wake up the next day and say, oh, Lord, my, my heart was broken. This is a new day and you're still faithful. And you're still a part of what's going on. And you have new things on your horizon for me. And so David here, thankful for that reality. Now, it seems verse 6, David may allude here to kind of where he went amiss a little bit. Notice he says, now in my prosperity. So there are times when we may weep and go through hardships. But there's also something that's more difficult to handle sometimes. And it's not suffering. We think suffering is the hardest thing to deal with. It seems the Bible indicates that actually what's more difficult to deal with than suffering or hardship is actually prosperity and success. That that's actually harder to manage and keep a right relationship with God and a right heart condition. Because you know as well as I do, when you're mourning, when you're weeping, when you're grieving, when you're under stress or difficulty, usually what does that do to your relationship with God? I know what it does for mine. <laughs> You're praying like never before. You're reading the Bible, hanging on every word. Kind of like the Psalm last week. Lord, if I don't hear something from you, I'm going to die. I'm not going to make. And, and every, I mean, you're reading the Bible and things are just flying off the page. And you're reading every three words. You're just hearing something very, because you're drawing near to God in the midst of your hardship. But what we tend to do is when we go through prosperity, when we find ourselves in a good place, that's the time it seems that we're kind of more prone to drift a little bit. We put things kind of in auto drive and we tend to think, I got this handled, I'm okay. If there's a problem, I don't need to pray, I'll just write a check, right? We, we can do that financially. Or, or you know, I, I kind of things are going well and so our, we start to lose kind of focus on our prayer life or reading the Bible because it's just the momentum of some good season and prosperity is carrying us. And look what David says here. He says, in my prosperity, I said, what did David say? I shall never be moved. David said, I went through a time when I was experiencing some prosperity. And when David started experiencing prosperity and the army was growing and the military was succeeding, David started feeling pretty self-confident. So he said, hey, by the way, tell me how big the army is now. Tell me how big the nation is now. And he started getting self-confident and thinking that things were more stable than they really were. And he forgot the reality that, look, at any given moment, God can just pull the rug out. God gives us prosperity. God blesses us with success. Nothing wrong in and of itself with prosperity. It's just we have to learn how to keep a humble perspective and manage it properly. And David here got a little self-confident. He says, in my prosperity, I said, kind of self-confidently, I shall never be moved. In other words, nothing's going to shake 
me or this season. Everything is going fine. I don't have to worry about anything. And then he says, verse seven, Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. Lord, you've given me a solid mountain. You've made me strong. But then he says, you hid your face. And boy, was I troubled. <laughs> the idea is David says, Lord, but it's like your face was towards me. You blessed me. You established me. And Lord, I, I guess I, I got a little bit self-confident. I got a little bit maybe, you know, prideful in the situation. And I wasn't living dependently upon you. And he said, Lord, all you had to do was just kind of turn your face away for a moment. I just turned, you just turned your favor away for a moment. He says, Lord, as soon as you turned your face away, boy, the trouble started. And boy, how do we often realize that? You know, sometimes God has to give us that little subtle reminder sometimes. Look, the only reason it's going well is when I'm involved and you're looking into my face and we're in right relationship. But uh, you, you turn away from me and then I turn my face back away from you. And he says, you'll see trouble real quick. And David says, that was where the trouble came. I got my eyes off the Lord. Verse eight, he says, and I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord, I made my supplication. What prophet, David says, is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. So David kind of crying out to the Lord in the midst of his troublesome situation. And in his basic statements there, verse 8 to 10, is he says, look, what benefit is it, Lord, if, if I die, I'm not going to be able to praise you before the people. I'm not going to be able to tell of the testimonies and write more great psalms like this and, and tell people all the glorious things about you. So he says, Lord, what profit is it going to be if you let me die? And he says, is the dust going to praise you? Lord, keep me alive so that I can keep praising you, he says, and declaring your truth as my helper. Verse 11, he says to the Lord, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothe me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. So he speaks of how God was able to transition what was going on in his personal condition and his circumstances. In verse 11 there, he speaks about uh, having a condition where he was wearing sackcloth. Remember, sackcloth was basically like, you know, we think of like old burlap or camel's hair. And the idea is kind of wearing that, you know, inwardly. It was, it was itchy. It was pinchy. It was uncomfortable. And they would put on sackcloth garments as a way of kind of afflicting themselves and irritating themselves physically, typically during the times when they were mourning and grieving so that they stood conscious of the pain. It was sort of a symbolic thing they would do. They would wear the sackcloth when they were mourning. And the idea here is mourning over something that went wrong or, you know, crying out to God. You're mourning over some condition. You want to see a you know, the spiritual condition change in your family or maybe in the nation. Or certainly even maybe mourning because you're grieving over a loved one. And he says, God, here I was. I got dressed for a funeral. And I was wearing the funeral clothes. I was wearing the garments of mourning. And he says, Lord, you came in and said, take off those garments, take off those mourning clothes, take off those funeral clothes, put on some dance clothes. We're going to a wedding now. We're going to go to a wedding celebration instead. And he says, God, you just changed the whole thing around. I was wearing garments for a funeral. And you came in and said, look, funeral's over. We're going to a wedding celebration now. Put on your dance shoes, put on your celebration garments. He says, you turned my mourning into dancing and you've clothed me with gladness. And, you know, isn't it wonderful how the Lord has a way of being able to bring that change into our lives from time to time? You know, he takes us through different seasons and maybe we're in a season when it's been really hard and we're just down and out. And the Lord is able to do exactly what verse 11 says. He's able to, to bring a turn of events. And he just has a way of working, maybe in the circumstances. Maybe it's just in our heart condition or our, our mental capacity and where we're at. And he's able just to help us. And I love how he says there, you know, you did this, Lord. You turned me from mourning to gladness. And, you know, God can do that. He's able to bring that change both in circumstances and in our heart condition. Psalm 31, he then declares, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. And if you're going to put your trust somewhere, 
that's a great place to put it. You know, don't, don't put it in man. Don't put your trust in government. Don't put your trust in the stimulus check. You put your trust in the Lord. That's where our trust should be. David knew that. David learned that continually. David's the one that would say, you know, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. That speaks of military equipment. He says, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And one of the best ways not to be disappointed and to continue to have stability in your life is to put your trust not in yourself, not in your government, not in your family, not in your friends. Keep your trust in the Lord. Because he has the ability to do things that we can't do, that others can't do for us. And he's got a really faithful track record. God will be reliable. I'm not always reliable. When I rely upon myself, I falter, I fumble. You do as well. And other people aren't always reliable. But God's utterly reliable. So like David, learn no matter what's going on, Lord, in you I put my trust. And he says, therefore, let me never be ashamed Deliver me in your righteousness. In other words, Lord, I trust that you will always do what is right because you're a righteous God. So don't let me be ashamed. Lord, bring about your deliverance for me in this situation. Verse two, David notices that God is so great that he has to kind of condescend to our human level. He says, bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge and fortress of defense to save me. So he says, Lord, you are a great and awesome God. Please, would you, you must have so many things coming across your desk. But he's saying, Lord, as one needy man down here on this earth, he says, would you, would you bow down your ear to hear me and quickly, Lord, deliver me? He says, be my rock. Again, that's my, my foundation, my strength. The rock is, speaks of that which is stable and immovable my rock of refuge to protect me and a fortress of defense to save me. So he asked God to be this. And then look what he says, verse three, for you are my rock and my fortress. So he says, Lord, please be this. And then David follows up right afterwards after praying for that. And he says, Lord, there's a declaration of faith. I like that. Lord, you are my rock. You are my rock and you are my fortress, my protection. Therefore, for your name's sake, he says, Lord, not for mine, not that David would be exalted, not that David would be known as anybody special, but he says, Lord, for your glory, for your honor and namesake, that people may know you, he says, lead me and guide me. You know, I think sometimes we all find ourselves needing that kind of a request. Lord, lead me and guide me. Lord, lead me and guide me because I want you to be honored. Lord, I'm not just saying lead me and guide me because I don't know what I'm doing. And, and th that's where we're all at sometimes, though, right? You know, perhaps this evening you're saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. I need your guidance. Well, pray what David prayed. Lord, lead me and guide me. But ultimately, we should be praying that not just for us. We should be praying, lead me and guide me because we want to walk in the will of the Lord for his name's sake so that we don't dishonor the Lord and do something where we're getting off track. Lord, we want to do what your will is so that you would be honored. So therefore, lead me and guide me for your name's sake, that people would be able to see you and glorify you as a result. He goes on to pray, verse 4, pull me out of the net for which they have secretly laid for me. Sometimes that's a sales trap. You ever notice that? People lay a net for you. Maybe even they're trying to sell you something or somebody's trying to do something to catch you in something. And he says, Lord, pull me out of the net, which they've secretly laid for you, for you are my strength. And then he says, verse five, into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me. And again, the idea of redemption is salvation to pay a price to purchase something back to its rightful owner. David says, Lord, you have redeemed me, O Lord. He calls him, I like that statement there, God of truth. Aren't you glad that we serve a God of truth? We don't serve a God of errors. We don't have to worry if God's going to tell us something that's an error, that he's going to give us guidance that's wrong, that he's going to give us guidance and then say, wait a minute, our new studies show this is the, the, no, whatever God says is the truth. God's a God of truth. He's never going to lead you wrong. You can always trust what he says. 
and he's going to give you the truth, whether you want to hear the truth or not. And because of that, we should be willing, like David here, to just fully commit ourselves into the hand of the Lord. David makes this expression, Lord, into your hand, I commit my spirit. Again, that's the inward person. The spirit is that part of us which is eternal. Now, very interesting, Psalm uh, here, uh, 31 verse 5, that statement should sound very familiar there. Uh, it was made by Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Remember when they were stoning Stephen for preaching about Jesus Christ and they got so angry at him, they rushed at him and they began to stone him to death. And as he was dying, it says he looked up and he saw Jesus there, the heavens parted, and he said, Lord, into your hand I commit my spirit. And he kind of quoted this reference here from Psalm 31, knowing the word of God, he quoted it as he was departing from this earth. Lord, my spirit, my body's being destroyed. They're killing me right now. They're putting me to death. But Lord, into your hand, I commit my spirit, the part of me which is eternal. Lord, take my spirit and bring it into your presence. And of course, ultimately, we know the greatest uh, quotation of this from Luke's gospel is where when Jesus is dying on the cross, and this is one of the statements he utters, right? Right before he dies. Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. It says Jesus breathed his last. And again, Jesus, knowing the word of God, quoting the scripture, uh, this speaks prophetically even of what our Lord would one day declare as he died on the cross for our sins so that we could be redeemed by the Lord, the God of truth. Verse 6, he says, I have hated those who regard useless idols. And anything that's an idol is exactly that, right? An idol is something we worship other than God, and we always find out later that they're what? Useless, right? I mean, are there not things in your life, look back, that you idolized or you made an idol, whether it was a possession, a position? Sometimes you make a person an idol. And he says, Lord, what I've come to find out about the idols I've made in my life, they're useless. Uh, they don't fulfill they don't accomplish the things that we're worshiping them for. We give so much a dedication to them, and we just find out they're useless. He says, but I trust in the Lord. And verse 7, I will be glad, he says, and rejoice in your mercy. For you have considered my trouble. God took notice of David's trouble. You've known my soul in adversities. God knew and was aware of the adversity that David was experiencing in his soul. And you have not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a wide place. The idea is like a, a stable location rather than a narrow path. David was very familiar with those ibexes. If you ever look at things over in the nation of Israel, uh, you'll see that they have these very narrow ledges and these very rocky territories. And these ibexes are these creatures that on the most narrow of ledges, they can walk on these areas and an area that you and I would never consider walking on. And so David, no doubt having this imagery in his mind, he says, Lord, you, you haven't done that. You didn't put me in a narrow situation where I was always slipping and falling. You've given me a wide, stable place. The idea is he's speaking of how God, listen, brought stability back into his life. Has there ever been a time in your life where you have seen God or maybe right now even you need for God to bring stability back into your life? Where maybe you've been like trying to walk on a ledge and if you were walking on a narrow ledge, if you and I were trying to do that right, your, your foot would keep slipping off, your foot would slip off and you're just trying to catch yourself because you feel like you're walking on a narrow edge and you feel like, I feel like I am constantly slipping and about to really fall hard. And, and he says, Lord, you brought me back to a place of stability. I love what David declares, again, as a declaration of faith. In verse 7, he says, notice, I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy because you considered my trouble and you knew the adversity in my soul. You can notice, I, I never want to miss these I will statements because they indicate choice. You see what David says, verse 7? I will be glad. I, I will be. He says, I will be glad and I will rejoice in your mercy. I don't feel very glad. Well, okay, but you can choose to be glad, <laughs> right? What does Paul say in the New Testament? Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And he says, again, I say rejoice. Well, Paul, why do you got to say it again? Because I think Paul, when he's writing a letter from prison, right? He's writing from prison and he's talking more about rejoicing in the Lord in prison 
than he is being outside of prison. Paul's in miserable conditions. That's what he writes the letter of Philippians, all about for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. And, and, you know, and he's talking about rejoicing in the Lord. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Wait a minute. Again, let me say that. Just in case you missed it, Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord. Oh, I have nothing to rejoice in. My life's miserable. I'm depressed. I'm bummed out. Everything's wrong. Oh, woe is me. Right? We all do that. And so, so the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, says, okay, 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 I got it. I'm not even going to argue about you have nothing to be happy about. How about rejoice in the Lord? Can't argue that one, can you? How can you not rejoice in the fact that your sins are forgiven? You're not going to hell. That every day of your life, you have a constant internal companion who lives with you and loves you and knows the adversities of your soul and walks with you through no matter what it is that we go through in this life. And he's there to help you. And he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And he's patient and merciful and kind. And he deals with us and all of our dysfunctions and our fractured. And, and, and so the Bible says, I will be glad and rejoice in the Lord, in his mercy and who he is. You know, what a wonderful antidote. And look, as David said that I will be glad and rejoice in the Lord, he said, here's what I found happened. God brought stability back into my life. Why do so many people on this earth not have mental stability? Why in the United States of America do we lead the world in prescription drugs? Because so many people are looking for other things to help them so often deal with what is a soul issue. It's a spirit issue. And so many times we're dismissing what the real need is, which is that what we really need is the Lord's grace and forgiveness and mercy and help and to realize that where true joy and gladness and happiness comes from, a lot of it has to do with just focus. We all struggle with feelings. There are people who have much harder lives than we do as Americans. I mean, on a circumstantial plane, would you at least agree with that? And yet we lead the way being depressed and discouraged and anxious. And we have to medicate ourselves because we, we can't handle life. When the reality is, is the Bible gives us such wonderful truths and encouragements that minister to our soul in a way to help us. God wants to help us, you know, with our mental struggles, with our emotional wrestlings and bring us stability back into our lives. That's why the Bible tells us in the New Testament, you know, that, that God has not given to us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love and of a sound mind. That God wants us to experience that, that soundness of mind, that stability. You've made me, he says, to walk in a wide and a stable place. Verse 9, he cries out, have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble, he says. I don't know, maybe that's you tonight. Have mercy, Lord. I got myself in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief. So David was apparently grieving deeply over something. This could have been when Absalom rebelled against him, when his you know, he was being pushed out of Jerusalem. Many think this was the time that he's describing these things. Yes, my soul and my body for my life is spent with grief. Boy, those are picturesque words. My life is spent with grief. I spend a good bit of my life, he says, grieving. And my years with sighing, that is sighing with just a, a moan of, of pain or, or anguish. My strength falls because of my iniquity. Interesting, David takes ownership where some of this was coming from. My strength falls because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I'm a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors, those closest to me. That's who your neighbors are. I'm a reproach even to my own neighbors, those closest to me, and am repulsive to my acquaintances, to those who I have close relationship with. I'm repulsive to them now. Those who see me outside flee from me. That is, people abandon. They run away. They wanted nothing to do with them. I am forgotten like a dead man, out of mind. I'm like a broken vessel. For I hear the slander of many, that is, people speaking abusive, 
hurtful things. Fear, he says, is on every side. Everywhere I turn, there's something threatening me again. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. And many times this was David's experience. People were scheming ways to take away David's life, to try and harm him. They were scheming how to bring destruction to him during the days of Saul. It happened again during the days of Absalom when they rebelled against him, pushed him off the throne for a season of time. Now, as you read David's words here expressing his own personal struggles, which you know we as well from time to time maybe can go through certain things where we find ourselves in grief and sighing those closest to us, turning away from us, maybe you know hurting us. We find ourselves fearful and anxious, find ourselves like a broken vessel. We feel very broken as a person. Maybe people are slandering us and talking about us behind our backs and saying hurtful things and scheming to try and do things that would bring you know, harm to us in some way. I look at verses 11 through 13, and what I think is very beautiful is as David's expressing his own words, the Holy Spirit, no doubt, is directing what David's saying, because how can you read verse 11 through verse 13 and not also as well there sense the heart and the experience of our Lord Jesus Christ, right, in the rejection he went through? And he did nothing wrong to anyone. But look at verses 11 to 13. Think of Jesus. Is this not true of what happened to Jesus and his humanity? I am a reproach among all my, many, my enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and I'm repulsive to my acquaintances. Jesus came to his own, but his own received him not. And what did Jesus deal with? Reproach and rejection. I mean, he brought nothing but the absolute best, and yet he was reproached. He was rejected among men. They looked upon Jesus as he was repulsive, as if he was worthless. As they beat him, the Bible says he was marred. His vision was marred so bad that people wouldn't even look upon him. He was beaten so badly, he literally looked repulsive when his wounds were inflicted upon him. Those who saw Jesus would flee from him. He says, verse 12, I'm forgotten like a dead man out of mind and like a broken vessel. And that's not exactly what our Lord experienced. His broken body he became like a broken human vessel and he was forgotten there upon the cross like a worthless dead man. Hearing the slander of many, experiencing no doubt in his humanity the, the anxieties of what people were doing as they took counsel together against Jesus and they schemed to take away his life. Verse 14, David declares, but as for me, despite those things, wait a minute, sounds like David's going through some really hard things there, right? But look what David does again. Watch the pendulum swing, which again, please take notice of this. And this is what I love about the Psalms. We talk about how they go through every range of emotion, right? That's why we can kind of like relate to them because there's like all these different experiences that we go through as people. We can relate to the word so much. David's really going through some hard stuff. I mean, that's pretty evident. Verse 5, or verse 9, excuse me, down through verse 13, he says, but despite those things, going through some hard things, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. He starts praying his way out of his problems. He starts praying his way out of his pain, out of his difficulty. As for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times, he says, they're not in the hands of other people. He says, my times are in your hand, Lord. You're in control of my times, my future. Now, how wonderful to know that, that our times are in the hand of God. You know, the, the time of your birth, the time of the things that you go through in your life, and whatever time you have left, Ultimately, our time, our times are in God's hand. It's completely in God's hand. And, and, you know, that takes a great deal of stress off of us, doesn't it? We don't have to get over anxious and fearful, especially when bad things are happening to us, right? That's what David's describing in the prior verses. It looked like David's times circumstantially were in the hands of everybody else, giving David a hard time. It looked like things were out of David's hands and like everybody else had their rotten hand on David's life and they were going to ruin. And he says, no, 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 this is what I know. My times are in your hand. You're my God. It doesn't matter what people do to me. 
My times are in your hand. And you know, your times as a person, they're in the hand of God. God's in control of your future. Your times are in his hand. So he says, deliver me. Therefore, look what he says. Verse 15, deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me for your mercy's sake. Do not let me be ashamed. O Lord, for I have called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence. That's David's way of nicely praying, Lord, shut their mouths. Sometimes that's something we got to pray. Let the lying lips be put to silence. Maybe that's a prayer for some in Washington, D.C. as well. Which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against what? The righteous. They're speaking insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. You know, I just saw an article go up today of uh, a Christian college, uh, kind of like a Cinderella team made it into the apparently the sweet 16 of uh, the what's the basketball thing called March Madness, right? And so they make it in total Cinderella team. Nobody expects them to even once in a lifetime. They make it in. And as soon as they make it in, some arrogant, wicked person right away starts attacking. They shouldn't even be allowed in the tournament, let alone to advance to the Sweet 16 because of their stance against homosexuality and their belief in traditional marriage. They shouldn't even be allowed to participate in the tournament because of what their college. They're a Christian college. People are paying extra money to go. They're not state funded. They're not government. They're a Christian college. That's not true tolerance. Tolerance is I'll tolerate what you believe, but you also got to tolerate what I believe. That's true tolerance. I mean, just the insanity of what goes on to attack people in such a way, you know, because of the evil intent of their hearts. You know, I, I read things like this, you know, and it, it just reminds me of that very thing. Lord, let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. I mean, just so sad. But again, we, we have to pray. We have to lift these things before the Lord. You know, Lord, deal with my enemies. And he says, Lord, verse 16, David saying, Lord, would you please bless me? Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me, Lord, for your mercy's sake. David then goes on to rejoice. Verse 19 Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you. Again, God's laid up blessings. He wants to do good things from his goodness for those who fear and serve him. Lord, he says, how great is your goodness, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. In other words, God, sometimes right in the presence of others, you will just show your goodness to your people to just demonstrate your blessing upon them for doing that which is good and right. He says, verse 20, you shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of men. Again, God can protect his servants from the plots of evil men. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of, again, it's interesting. What is one of the biggest weapons on this earth? The mouth. I mean, you see how the Bible always comes back to that? From the strife, doesn't say of swords, spears, uh, from the strife of tongues. You know, what is one of truly the most destructive weapons used on this earth? It is the tongue of mankind. Why do you think the devil has so much interest in things like media? And, and Look, th there is an unseen spiritual current that is behind what we see go on in media because there is something right about the power of the tongue. I mean, think of the horrific things that have happened through human history, right? And, and, and where did they originate from? Things that people started saying, really. I mean, the horrific things that we have done through human history, the destruction of races of people and, I mean, through the mouth. I mean, the mouth is an incredibly powerful tool that when unchecked can bring about horrible 
things on this earth. The devil is no dummy. That's why the Bible says, Jesus said of him, he's the father of lies. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. But one of the things we need to really direct our prayers towards is this, praying that, that the tongue would promote truth and righteousness and what helps people and the gospel would be proclaimed and people would hear the word of God and that that which are lies and deceptions and destructive, ruinous things, that those things would be silenced, that people wouldn't hear the voice of the devil telling them to destroy your life or to destroy other people, but that people would hear the voice of God telling them that God loves them and has a plan for their life and that God's intention is that we help one another and that we serve one another and promote life rather than destruction and devastation. So he says, verse 21, in the midst of this, blessed be the Lord, for he has shown his marvelous kindness in a strong city. The idea is when I was under attack, Lord, you strengthened the city of Jerusalem. You fortified us and showed your marvelous kindness, protecting us when our city was under attack. He says, verse 22, for I said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to you. So David reflects upon a time where he says, you know what? I realize, Lord, there were times when I said things in my haste. You know, sometimes we all can say things in, in haste, right? We have a hasty thought and then we say something in a hasty, impulsive manner. And, and, and here David says, there was a time when, Lord, in a hasty way, I, I just said in haste, I'm cut off from before your eyes. In other words, there's no hope, God, that's it. There's just no hope. This is just hopeless. There's just no way. It's impossible. It's hopeless. And David kind of says, you know, I realized in hindsight, that was hasty of me to say that. It was hasty of me to kind of get, you know, just hopeless and despondent and in my haste to just impulsively say out loud, oh, I'm just, that's it, I'm cut off, Lord. You're, you're not involved anymore. All is lost, and I just, I'm cut off. Everything is, is just going to fall apart now. And he says, but nevertheless, Lord, you, you heard the voice of my supplications, and my cry answered to you. And he's just so thankful that the Lord still responded despite his hasty speech in the moment of his depression or weakness. And he concludes the psalm again, doing what? Rejoicing back upon the greatness of the Lord. He says, oh, he tells us now, counseling us, love the Lord, all you his saints. You know, what does the Bible tell us? To love the Lord our God with our heart and soul and mind and strength. And so he says here, look, all you his saints, that's you and I, his followers, love the Lord. Love the Lord, you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful. Look, what does God ask of us? Love him and just be faithful. And he says, I'll, I'll preserve you. David says, I find this, those who are faithful to the Lord, God has a way of preserving them, protecting them, bringing his preservation, and he fully repays the proud person. So he deals with the one who's doing what's wrong. His encouragement, verse 24, perhaps it's something that you need to be reminded of tonight. If you're lacking courage, fearful, or downcast, we saw this before in Psalm 27. The Holy Spirit says it again repetitiously. Be of good courage. Be of good courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's in the midst of fear being willing to press on and exercise bravery, though you do find yourself facing something scary. He says, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope that is expectantly in the Lord. 